Section 17 of Gentle Measures in the Management and Training of the Young. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gentle Measures in the Management and Training of the Young by Jacob Abbott. The Activity of Children. In order rightly to understand the true nature of that extraordinary activity which is so noticeable in all children that are in a state of health, so as to be able to deal with it on the right principles and in a proper manner, it is necessary to turn our attention somewhat carefully to certain scientific truths in respect to the nature and action of force in general, which are now abundantly established, and which throw great light on the true character of that peculiar form of it which is so characteristic in childhood, and is indeed so abundantly developed by the vital functions of almost all young animals. One of the fundamental principles of this system of scientific truth is that which is called the persistence of force. The persistence of force. By the persistence of force is meant the principle, one now established with so much certainty as to command the assent of every thinking man who examines the subject, that in the ordinary course of nature no force is either ever originated or ever destroyed, but only changed in form in other words that all existing forces are but the continuation or prolongation of other forces preceding them either of the same or other forms but precisely equivalent in amount and that no force can terminate its action in any other way than by being transmuted into some other force either of the same or of some other form but still again precisely equivalent in amount it was formerly believed that a force might, under certain circumstances, be originated, created as it were, and hence the attempts to contrive machines for perpetual motion, that is, machines for the production of force. This idea is now wholly renounced by all well-informed men as utterly impossible in the nature of things. All that human mechanism can do is to provide modes for using advantageously a force previously existing, without the possibility of either increasing or diminishing it. No existing force can be destroyed. The only changes possible are changes of direction, changes in the relation of intensity to quantity, and changes of form. The cases in which a force is apparently increased or diminished, as well as those in which it seems to disappear, are all found, on examination, to be elusive. For example, the apparent increase of a man's power by the use of a lever is really no increase at all. It is true that, by pressing upon the outer arm with his own weight, he can cause the much greater weight of the stone to rise, but then it will rise only a very little way in comparison with the distance through which his own weight descends. His own weight must, in fact, descend through a distance as much greater than that by which the stone ascends, as the weight of the stone is greater than his weight. In other words, so far as the balance of the forces is concerned, the whole amount of the downward motion consists of the smaller weight descending through a greater distance, which will be equal to the whole amount of that of the larger one ascending through a smaller distance, and to produce a preponderance, the whole amount of the downward force must be somewhat greater. Thus the lever only gathers or concentrates force as it were, but does not at all increase it. 
it is so with all the other contrivances for managing force for the accomplishment of particular purposes none of them increase the force but only alter its form and character with a view to its better adaptation to the purpose in view nor can any force be extinguished when a bullet strikes against a solid wall the force of its movement which seems to disappear is not lost it is converted into heat the temperature of both the bullet and of that part of the wall on which it impinges being raised by the concussion and it is found that the amount of the heat which is thus produced is always in exact proportion to the quantity of mechanical motion which is stopped this quantity depending on the weight of the bullet and on the velocity with which it was moving and it has been ascertained moreover by the most careful patient and many times repeated experiments and calculations that the quantity of this heat is exactly the same with that which through the medium of steam or by any other mode of applying it may be made to produce the same quantity of mechanical motion that was extinguished in the bullet thus the force was not destroyed but only converted into another form and if we should follow out the natural effects of this heat into which the motion of the bullet was transferred we should find it rarefying the air around the place of concussion and thus lifting the whole mass of the atmosphere above it and producing currents of the nature of wind and through these producing other effects thus going on for ever the force changing its form but neither increasing or diminishing its quantity through a series of changes without end the arrest and temporary reservation of force now although it is thus impossible that any force should be destroyed or in any way cease to exist in one form without setting in action a precisely equal amount in some other form it may as it were pass into a condition of restraint and remain thus suspended and latent for an indefinite period ready however to break into action again the moment that the restraint is removed thus a perfectly elastic spring may be bent by a certain force and retained in the bent position a long time but the moment that it is released it will unbend itself exercising in so doing precisely the degree of force expended in bending it in the same manner air may be compressed in an air-gun and held thus with the force as it were imprisoned for any length of time until at last when the detent is released by the trigger the elastic force comes into action exercising in its action a power precisely the same as that with which it was compressed force or power may be thus as it were stored up in a countless variety of ways and reserved for future action and when finally released the whole amount may be set free at once so as to expend itself in a single impulse as in the case of the arrow or the bullet or it may be partially restrained so as to expend itself gradually as in the case of a clock or watch in either case the total amount expended will be precisely the same namely the exact equivalent of that which was placed in store animal and vegetable life there are a vast number of mechanical contrivances in use among men for thus putting force in store as it were and then using it more or less gradually as may be required and nature moreover does this on a scale so stupendous as to render all human contrivances for this purpose utterly insignificant in comparison 
the great agent which nature employs in this work is vegetation indeed it may truly be said that the great function of vegetable life in all the infinitude of forms and characters which it assumes is to receive and store up force derived from the emanations of the sun animal life on the other hand exists and fulfils its functions by the expenditure of this force animals receive vegetable productions containing these reserves of force into their systems which systems contain arrangements for liberating the force and employing it for the purposes it is intended to subserve in the animal economy the manner in which these processes are performed is in general terms as follows the vegetable absorbs from the earth and from the air substances existing in their natural condition that is united according to their strongest affinities these substances are chiefly water containing various mineral salts in solution from the ground and carbonic acid from the air these substances after undergoing certain changes in the vessels of the plant are exposed to the influence of the rays of the sun in the leaves by the power of these rays including the calorific the luminous and the actinic the natural affinities by which the above-mentioned substances were united are overcome and they are formed into new combinations in which they are united by very weak affinities of course they have a strong tendency to break away from the new unions and fall back into the old but by some mysterious and incomprehensible means the sun has the power to lock them so to speak in their new forms so as to require a special condition of things for the releasing of them thus they form a reserve of force which can be held in restraint until the conditions required for their release are realized the process can be illustrated more particularly by a single case water one of the substances absorbed by plants is composed of oxygen and hydrogen which are united by an affinity of prodigious force it is the same with carbon and oxygen in a compound called carbonic acid which is also one of the principal substances absorbed by plants from the air now the heat and other emanations from the sun acting upon these substances in the leaves forces the hydrogen and carbon away from their strong bond of union with oxygen and sets the oxygen free and then combines the carbon and the hydrogen into a sort of unwilling union with each other a union from which they are always ready and eager to break away that they may return to their union with the object of their former and much stronger attachment namely oxygen though they are so locked by some mysterious means that they cannot break away except when certain conditions necessary to their release are realized hydrocarbons the substances thus formed by a weak union of carbon with hydrogen are called hydrocarbons they comprise nearly all the highly inflammable vegetable substances their being combustible means simply that they have a great disposition to resume their union with oxygen combustion being nothing other than a more or less violent return of a substance to a union with oxygen or some other such substance usually one from which it had formerly been separated by force giving out again by its return in the form of heat the force by which the original separation had been effected a compound formed thus of substances united by very weak affinities so that they are always ready to separate from each other and form new unions under the influence of stronger affinities 
is said to be in a state of unstable equilibrium. It is the function of vegetable life to create these unstable combinations by means of the force derived from the sun, and the combinations, when formed, of course hold the force which formed them in reserve, ready to make itself manifest whenever it is released. Animals receive these substances into their systems in their food. A portion of them they retain, rearranging the components in some cases so as to form new compounds, but still unstable. These they use in constructing the tissues of the animal system, and some they reserve for future use. As fast as they require the heat and the force which are stored in them, they expend them, thus recovering the force which was absorbed in the formation of them, and which now, on being released, reappears in the three forms of animal heat, muscular motion, and cerebral or nervous energy. There are other modes besides the processes of animal life by which the reserved force laid up by the vegetable process in these unstable compounds may be released. In many cases it releases itself under ordinary exposures to the oxygen of the atmosphere. A log of wood, which is composed chiefly of carbon and hydrogen in an unstable union, lying upon the ground will gradually decay as we term it. That is, its elements will separate from each other, and form new unions with the elements of the surrounding air, thus returning to their normal condition. They give out, in so doing, a low degree of heat, which, being protracted through a course of years, makes up in the end the precise equivalent of that expended by the sun in forming the wood. That is, the power expended in the formation of the wood is all released in the dissolution of it. This process may be greatly accelerated by heat. If a portion of the wood is raised in temperature to a certain point, the elements begin to combine with the oxygen near, with so much violence as to release the reserved power with great rapidity. And as this force reappears in the form of heat, the next portions of the wood are at once raised to the right temperature to allow the process of reoxidation to go on rapidly with them. This is the process of combustion. Observations and experiments on decaying wood have been made, showing that the amount of heat developed by the combustion of a mass of wood, though much more intense for a time, is the same amount as that which is set free by the slower process of reoxidation by gradual decay, both being the equivalent of the amount absorbed by the leaves from the sun, in the process of deoxidizing the carbon and hydrogen when the wood was formed. The force imprisoned in these unstable compounds may be held in reserve for an unlimited period, so long as all opportunity is denied them of returning the elements that compose them to their natural combinations. Such a case occurs when large beds of vegetable substances are buried under layers of sediment, which subsequently become stone, and thus shut the hydrocarbonaceous compounds beneath them from all access to oxygen. The beds of coal thus formed retain their reserved force for periods of immense duration and when at length the material thus protected is brought to the surface, and made to give up its treasured power, it manifests its efficiency in driving machinery, propelling trains, heating furnaces, or diffusing warmth and comfort around the family fireside. In all these cases, the heat and power developed from the coal is heat and power derived originally from the sun, 
and now set free after having laid dormant thousands and perhaps millions of years this simple case of the formation of hydrocarbons from the elements furnished by carbonic acid in water is only adduced as an illustration of the general principle the modes by which the power of the sun actually takes effect in the decomposition of stable compounds and the formation of unstable ones from the elements thus obtained are innumerable and the processes as well as the combinations that result are extremely complicated these processes include not only the first formation of the unstable compounds in the leaf but also an endless series of modifications and rearrangements which they subsequently undergo as well in the other organs of the plant as in those of the animal when they are finally introduced into an animal system in all however the general result is substantially the same namely the forcing of elements into unnatural combinations so to speak by the power of the sun acting through the instrumentality of vegetation in order that they may subsequently in the animal system give out that power again by the effort they make to release themselves from the coercion imposed upon them and to return to the natural unions in which they can find again stability and repose one of the chief elements employed in the formation of these weakly combined substances is nitrogen, its compounds being designated as nitrogenous substances, and noted as a class for the facility with which they are decomposed. Nitrogen is, in fact, the great weak holder of nature. Young students in chemistry, when they learn that nitrogen is distinguished by the weakness of its affinities for other elements, and its consequent great inertness as a chemical agent, are often astonished to find that its compounds, such as nitric acid, nitre, which gives its explosive character to gunpowder, nitroglycerin, guncotton, and various other explosive substances which it helps to form, are among the most remarkable in nature for the violence and intensity of their action, and for the extent to which the principle of vitality avails itself of them as magazines of force, upon which to draw in the fulfillment of its various functions. But this is really just what should be expected. It is the very weakness of the hold which nitrogen maintains upon the elements combined with it that facilitates their release, and affords them the opportunity to seize with so much avidity and violence on those for which they have a strong attraction. It is as if a huntsman should conduct a pack of ferocious dogs into a field occupied by a flock of sheep, quietly grazing, holding the dogs securely by very strong leashes. The quiet and repose of the field might not be seriously disturbed. But if, on the other hand, a child comes in, leading the dogs by threads which they can easily sunder, a scene of the greatest violence and confusion would ensue. In the same manner, when nitrogen, holding the particles of oxygen with which it is combined in the compounds above named by a very feeble control, brings them into the presence of other substances for which they have a very strong affinity, they release themselves at once from their weak custodian, and rush into the combinations which their nature demands with so much avidity as to produce combustions, deflagrations, and explosions of the most violent character. The force which the elements display in these reunions is always, and this is one aspect of the great discovery of modern times in respect to the persistence or constancy of force which has already been referred to, 
precisely the same in amount as that which was required for dissevering them from their original combinations with such substances at some previous time the processes of vegetation are the chief means employed for effecting the original separations by the power of the sun and for forming the unstable compounds by which this power is held in reserve the animal system on the other hand takes in these compounds remodels them so far as is required to adapt them to its structure assimilates them and then as occasion requires it releases the concealed force which then manifests itself in the forms of animal heat of muscular motion and of cerebral and nervous power in what way and to what extent the knowledge of these truths should influence us in the management and training of children in respect to their extraordinary activity is the question we have next to consider end of section seventeen